I want you to take your Bibles, if you will, and uh, turn to Romans chapter 1. We are in the final message of this series out of the book of Judges, and uh, I want you to uh, follow with me today. It's, this is a very interesting uh, passage of Scripture, chapters 19, 20, and 21 of Judges. Uh, it is probably the most horrific uh, passage or three chapters that I have ever tried to preach in the entire Bible. It is uh, beyond what most of us would ever even think imaginable. And it breaks my heart uh, to even read it, much less to quote the scriptures. Uh, we come to the end of the road, so to speak, with our study from the book of Judges. The book of Judges has taken us back to a dark period in Israel's history. The overarching uh, takeaway in this book is that in those days, people did what was right in their own eyes. And each and every chapter had stories of how people, how God's people, moved farther and farther from his heart. And they drifted into their own false gods, their own idol worship. Chapter 19 through 21 is the epitome of stupidity. If you think about Israel, God's chosen, holy, and dearly loved, how could they, of all people, fall into such a degrading, uh, uh, depraved uh, way of life? It's just beyond me. This is a horrible and gruesome story of how far man will fall into a degenerate perversion once he sets his mind against God. See, just to turn from God and say, well, I just don't want God in my life. I don't need God in my life. I don't want God to rule my life. Just to take that position and turn from him. I'm, I'm going to do things right. I'm going to do it what's right in my own eyes. And you start out thinking that, you know, I'm doing okay. Things are good. Listen. There's a downgrade spiritually and morally that comes to any person who removes God from the equation of their heart. When all you have left to make decisions from in your heart, when all you have left is a heart that is deceitful above all things, down the road it will continue to lead you in a downgrade. And this, these three chapters are a picture of just how far your heart will take you from God. It is a very revealing, very sobering three chapters in the Bible. Again, I'm not going to take time to read these chapters this morning because I'm not sure it's age appropriate for some that are still in our room, even though our children have left, and then also because, uh, quite honestly, it's too difficult to read. Uh, I would have you read it on your own. If you want to see what man is like and what he's capable of without God, if you would allow me, though, I'd like this morning to, do, to give you a brief synopsis of the story. And, uh, and uh, let's take a look at what's happening here. Now, one side note before we read. From the very outset, when I gave an introduction to the book of Judges, I shared that the book of Judges, if you just take it chapter for chapter, you might be lulled into thinking that this is a chronological story, that it's happening one event after another in order. That is not the way to read the book of Judges. That's not true. It's more thematic-driven than it is chronological. And so a great example of that is right here, chapters 19 through 21. 
uh, we find that there's a particular priest that is mentioned. His name is Phineas. He's the high priest in Israel. And if you know the period of the judges was 400 years, and you go looking up Phineas, you find that Phineas lived in the first part of that 400 years. So this story is at the end of the book of Judges, but it actually happens early on in the book of Judges. And the point being that uh, don't think for a second that even in the initial few chapters of Judges that things were all fine and dandy and that the sins were less and then you get to the end and they're really bad. In this case, Israel had already gone through that spiritual, moral uh, downgrade and what we have now is a nation that is just reaping what it sowed. And it's throughout the book of Judges. It's not just in one spot. See, God wanted us to leave this book knowing that man left to his own wisdom and devices would only produce chaos and destruction. And so he puts the story that has the most chaos and the most destruction at the very tail end. Not because that's when it happened, but because that's what he wants you to walk away from this study remembering. God's trying to give us as a church a wake-up call. So let me just say, with peace and love in my heart, wake up! <laughs> if you were asleep, you're not now, are you? Okay. Uh, this is a great example of a look at what's happening in our nation today. And that's why we're going to turn to Romans after I share the story. Here's the story in chapters 19 and 20 and 21, I'll share with you a little more. A certain Levite had a concubine. First of all, a Levite is of the Levitical order. He's of the tribe of Levi, of the 12 tribes, and so he is of a priestly tribe. So you have a priest who takes a concubine, not a wife. He's not married to her. He's under contract with her. She basically does whatever he wants whenever he wants it. This is a priest who takes a concubine. Even from the beginning of this story, it's ugly. Okay? And he left him, uh, who had left him, this concubine, and she returned to her father's house in Bethlehem. He pursued her to Bethlehem to seek to woo her back. Okay? And he was successful. But on his return home to Mount Ephraim, he stops in a city at night to get a good night's rest with his concubine. There's a man coming in from the field. He's been working as a farmer all day. He sees this couple out in the city court, and he says, hey, come, you can stay in my house tonight. By the way, that back then, that was common. That's how you found lodging when you traveled. You, people would just invite you into their home. I got to tell you, just a side note to this, my parents are sitting here. When I was a boy in Daytona Beach, Florida, okay, at night, I could, we'd open our windows up in the evenings. We lived in a very old home in downtown, the historic district now. And uh, I, could, I could open up my window at night during the 24 hours of Daytona, and I could hear them downshifting and shifting up on the, on the racetrack. So we heard that. But, but one of the things in Daytona that they did through the Chamber of Commerce, you could sign up, and if you signed up as a resident in Daytona, then they would, uh, they would, they would uh, give you the names of people coming down from up north who were going to the races, and they were looking for lodging and food. And so you could just sign up, and they would assign you a name, and, it could, and we would have three or four men who'd come into our house, and we'd give them a couple bedrooms, 
and, and mom would make breakfast for them in the morning, and they'd head off to the racetrack, spend the whole day, come back that night, and get some sleep. That, that was common back then. Now, who does that today, huh? <laughs> Can you imagine the Chamber of Commerce, of all places, or uh, giving, uh, giving you a name of somebody you've never heard of, and they've never been checked out? That's how things in our own lifetime have changed. Just in a few short years, because I'm still a very young man. <laughs> uh, so, so he stops and he spends the night in the city of Gibeah, which belonged to the tribe of Benjamin. By the way, interestingly, that I'm leaving out of this, is they came to another city right before Gibeah, and they decided not to stay there. And here's why. Because it was not run or controlled by any of the 12 tribes of Judah. So they thought, no, we won't stay there. We're going to go to a city that one of the tribes of, 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 uh, of Judah owns. And they found one that the Benjamites owned. Okay, And an old man offered him shelter for the night. And after dinner, as they were enjoying the evening together, the men of the city surrounded the house and began to beat on the door, demanding that the old man send the male visitor out so that they could sodomize him. Does this sound familiar? This is the same thing that happened in Sodom and Gomorrah that brought the wrath of God and destruction on that city. Well, they offered the concubine. The Levite offers his concubine to the men outside to settle them down. She goes out and the men gang rape her through the night. As morning approaches and they're finished with her, she's found crawling back to the threshold of the door of the house that they were in, that the, her Levite and the farmer were in. And the next morning when the Levite wakes up, he steps outside, he sees her right there at the threshold, and she's dead. He takes her, puts her on her donkey, and he takes her home. And when he gets there, he takes her and he cuts her up in 12 pieces and sends her out by messenger to all the tribes of Israel, trying to show the devastation that they went through. Now, here's a man who just put her out to these men to have their way with her. And now he's trying to call Israel, Israel's attention to it. The rest of this chapter 20 and 21 is civil war breaks out and God sends them into battle against the Benjamites who committed these crimes. By the way, they came to the city and they said, please send out the men who did this. We will have our way with them. We're going to kill them. And the city of Gibeah, the Benjamites that lived there said, no, uh, that's not going to happen. Uh, you're not going to have them. Even knowing what these men did, the people of the city protected them. Is that familiar today? And so civil war breaks out. First two attempts to take over the Benjamites. God says, yeah, go to battle. They go to battle and they're defeated greatly. And then finally the third time, God defeats the Benjamites. What God was doing was God was reducing the numbers. because It was a, it was a form of judgment against what they had done. This is how that book ends. Nothing positive, nothing encouraging, just a great warning 
a sobering warning to you and I today that when any nation chooses to leave the laws of God and do what is right in their own sight, the path leads progressively downward until you get to the final stage of unnatural sexual sin. That is the lowest that a nation can go. And look at any great nation that has risen and fallen, and you'll find that as it was getting ready to fall, sexual sin, un listen, I'm not talking just natural sexual sin, unnatural sexual sin, just pervaded that nation. And the next thing, the only thing left for that nation is the judgment of God. The Apostle Paul lays out this downgrade of humanity in Romans chapter 1. You should be there. Let's look at it together. In Romans 1, first thing I want you to notice is that in the beginning, it starts out with their knowing God, the world, the, the, the natural man in the world who doesn't, know, who doesn't follow God. He knows God, but he fails to glorify him as God. In fact, look at Romans 1.19. Let's look at verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Paul is saying that the un ungodly know who God is. It's, it's not just that they know who he is. It's plain to them because God has shown it to them. God himself has shown it to everyone, the godly and the ungodly, who he is. For his in, in, invisible attributes, namely... His eternal power and divine nature. What God has revealed to the ungodly is his eternal power and his divine nature. And how does he determine it? It's clearly perceived, the scripture says, ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So that they are without excuse. Creation reveals God. Scripture tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth shows his handiwork. Through day and night, the heavens speak to us. They speak in a universal language so that every man in every culture is aware of a higher power. No question about it. But it's not just the creation that speaks of God. The conscience of man speaks of God because God wrote on the conscience. In our hearts, he wrote the tablets that were delivered to Moses by stone. That's now in our hearts. You know it's wrong to steal because you know what it feels like when somebody steals from you. And God already wrote it in you that it's wrong to steal. Secondly, they chose to suppress the truth about God in unrighteousness. Go back to verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Let me just say this about that. Although the evidence from conscience, creation, and the, God, the word of God is irrefutable, men still choose to resist and oppose God's truth by holding fast to their sin. You, listen, you can't have God in one hand and have the world in the other. You can't have a mind of God sometimes and a mind that's filled with filth from the world the next minute. When you do that, God is not with you. You are not experiencing the fellowship with God that he wants with you. Third, the man does not glorify, man does not glorify God as supreme, but instead man rejects God's laws and his ways so that he can do what is right in his own eyes. Let me say it again. Man does not glorify God as supreme, but instead rejects God's laws and ways so that he can do what's right in his own eyes. This is where we find ourselves 
in the book of Judges, from front cover of Judges to the back. This leads to verse 21. Look at verse 21 in Romans. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Here's what they did instead. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Two things there. One, their thinking was futile. Their heart is now dark. Man becomes vain in his imagination. He tries to imagine how the world might come into existence apart from a divine creator. Have we seen that in our time? He tries to imagine how he might have evolved to his present state through billions of years of incidental occurrences and accidental, uh, accidental circumstance. He creates an untraceable, unscientific progression from goo through the zoo to you. This attempt to eliminate God has stretched the imagination to the point of idiocy. We have people who are idiotic in their belief system. We have pol politicians who are idiotic. People in high positions of authority and power, idiotic. This attempt to eliminate God has just taken them to a place that a rational mind cannot go on its own. I want you to remember the fairy tale of the frog and the princess, how the handsome princess was turned into a frog by the curse of the wicked witch, and then the curse couldn't be broken except by the kiss of a beautiful princess. Wonderful little fairy tale that you probably learned when you were young. But one day the princess was by the pond where the frog lived, and on impulse she kissed the frog, and he turns into this beautiful prince. And they go off, get married, and they live happily ever after. Well, those who profess to be wise are telling our children that this is not a fairy tale at all. It's actually an event that took place, not with just a kiss in a moment of time, but through the kisses of accidental occurrence over millions and billions of years. I want you to think about it. Our extremely complex bodies with the capacity to learn and retrieve knowledge and to think cognitively, it all just happened the same way a frog became a prince. It just happened over a longer period of time. That's right. All the organs, all the glands of the human body just came into existence by chance. There's another fable that fits the vein of man's thinking. It's called the emperor's new clothes. This fable teaches that man has the problem of making assumptions based upon wrong precepts. I want you to think about this. If you, from the time you start school, are taught that two times two equals five, and you're taught that five by, times five equals 24, and 10 times 10 equals 99, and you start your entire edu educational process understanding that, and every year after you're taught that, guess what happens? You're going to grow up believing it, but you'll never be able to make purpose out of life. Because that formula is a falsehood. And you've been duped. When a child throughout his whole educational process is taught that he has evolved from the animal kingdom and is only a product of chance, he will grow up believing that, but he will never understand who he really is.
This is all a work of the enemy. It's demonic, and it's all about man having it his way, pushing God out of the picture, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, and creating a system for all people to grow up in. No wonder when, and I'll tell you, just knowing all of that, now does it not just really the, the words of Christ when he said, if anyone causes a child to stumble from coming to me, it'd be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and you thrown in the depths of the sea. The judgment of God is going to be great upon this earth and upon our nation. It's coming. It just is. We, we, we're in that spiritual, moral downgrade to the point where now we've hit the bottom. If you look at every great nation that fell, we are experiencing the same spiritual and moral downgrade that they experienced right before they fell. Claiming to be wise, verse 22, they became fools. Believing in absurdities, that's what that means. They believed in absurdities. And man exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. All of this is the result of rejecting the truth of God and creating their own faulty belief system. When you start with something that's false, you can't end up with something that's true. And what you end up with is something that is wrong, but it's called right. And the things that are right are called wrong. Verse 24, therefore God gave them. Because of that, because, God, because they rejected God completely. Look, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. See, look what happens. When you reject God, where it takes you is into all kinds of immoral sin. But it really takes you down a path sexual moral, immoral sin. They dishonored their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. It starts out with, instead of worshiping the creator, they worship flowers, they worship trees, they worship rainforests. Okay, so you worship the wrong thing, and then what do you end up protecting? Do you protect God and his word? No. You protect rats, you protect endangered flies on the earth, you protect anything and everything, but then you also turn around and demand that you have a right to kill the baby in the womb. Idiocy. How convoluted can a society become? Well, verse 26 tells us, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. In other words, he no longer restrained them from their evil desires. He now allows them to follow the passions of their own heart to corrupt themselves with sexual immoral practices. Verse 26, latter part of the verse, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. By the way, there are natural sexual sins. Fornication is a natural sexual sin. Adultery is a natural sexual sin. He doesn't leave that out. But now, because of the downgrade, you go from natural sexual sin. That's not enough. It's not enough to view pornography on the laptop. Now I need to because, you know, it's just not feeding me like it used to. So now I need to see children 
who are being abused sexually. You see the downgrade? So now it comes into the unnatural. It says in the, the women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. It is contrary. What's happening in our country today that they're pushing upon people is contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. By the way, if you talk to someone who's engaged in sexual perversion sin about what it says in Romans here that the Apostle Paul is teaching, they will begin to attack the Apostle Paul. They, 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 they demonize him. They reduce what he said down to where what he said doesn't really count. That's, that's their answer because it's so clear. So if, you, if you're in sin and somebody comes to you and tries to make your sin clear to you, you have to remove, the, you have to remove what they said. You have to somehow denounce what they said. You've got to deny it. You've got to to contort it in such a way that you no longer have to hear what they're saying. That's how you suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So God gave them up to vile or perverted affections, which he spoke of in the scripture. Let me just give you some, some, of, the, some of the types of sin that are unnatural. Lesbianism. It's an unnatural sin. Homosexuality. Bestiality. Incest. Pedophilia. These are all unnatural sins. And by the way, one of the greatest blasphemies of all time is to attempt to blame God for your perversion and then be so audacious as to declare that God's made you that way. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind, <coughs> excuse me, to do what ought not to be done. And you think it's water. <laughs> to do what not ought to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Try to find a movie today that doesn't have some of these in it. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. So God gave them over to a despicable affection. So why did God hand them over to vile affections? Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, verse 28 says. They didn't want God in their minds. The natural man is at war with God. He's in rebellion against the laws of God. If it were possible, he would like to completely annihilate any mention or thought about God. So in our school system, public school system, what started out in this nation with a textbook of the Bible and prayer daily now, nothing is mentioned about God. 
Even when Jesus came to the earth and man had a chance to have his way, what did he do? He put him to death. He put the Messiah to death. That's the evil intentions of the heart of man when he's left to his own devices. The evolutionary theory is totally unfounded, unproven, and it's ludicrous. It is only embraced because if it were true, it would completely eliminate the necessity of God. So they try to make it sound like it's true, even though it's unprovable. Throughout history, we see the repeated patterns of nations that have risen and fallen. The patterns always seem to be the same. Here it is. Let me just give you a history lesson. Take any nation that rose in power and was blessed and then ended up falling. Here it is. Number one, a nation rises out of the ashes of a previously destroyed nation. Number two, men recognize that you cannot exist together without some kind of moral basis. So they turn to the Bible as a moral compass and they begin to implement biblical principles. Think about America. You can't read the Constitution and not see that they use the Bible as their guide. Number three, as the truth of God is declared, that nation begins to obey God's law and not long after they reap the blessings that are promised to those who obey. They grow, they expand, they're successful, they have conquered, they are just doing awesome. However, in their prosperity, they begin to forsake God and his laws, and this begins a downward moral decline, a spiritual and moral downgrade. Finally, you begin to see a total moral breakdown in that society, which moves from the natural sins like fornication and adultery into a further downgrade of perversion sins, and that's where you find America today. And let me just tell you, once those with depraved minds gather the upper hand over a particular nation or society by protecting their natural and unnatural sins, they will then move to promote their lifestyle and demonize and criminalize anyone who disagrees with them. And when you get to this stage, that is the final nail in the coffin. That society, that nation is now through. The cycle's complete. The next step is the wrath of God revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men that hold the truth of God in unrighteousness. Please don't take what I'm saying and sharing about the spiritual and more downgrade of a society to mean that I hate people who engage in sexual sin. As Christians, our mandate is extremely clear from the Lord. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Love people enough to share the truth. Even if you're hated for doing so, do it! Live the truth and share the truth in love. This is not a hate message. This is not about building up in you this hate for other people. This is a message of us understanding from the Bible the downgrade of the natural heart of man into unnatural behavior and how we ought to feel shame for those who are in it. We ought to, we ought to, we ought to be saddened by what's going on and we want to reach out to them and pull them out of this mire, out of this mess that they're in. That's what this is about. It's about us recognizing that we are just like them. There's no difference. We were all sinners. But thank God he saved us by grace. And now he's given us the message of reconciliation and redemption that he wants us to carry to those who are still in sin. So this is not a hate deal. This is simply understanding the times that we live in so that we can approach them with the gospel 
to see many of them come to Christ. Amen? Paul finally concludes, verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. I want you to look at what's happened to the, music, the movie industry, the music industry. Listen to the lyrics of songs today. What kind of plots and activities do they portray in entertainment and music? Fornication, sexual perversion, covetousness, maliciousness, murder, debate, deceit, uh, all kinds of evil. God-haters, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, and unmerciful. These are the sins that a person would never, in the church, these are the sins that Christians would never want to go out and do themselves, but they get this vicarious thrill watching others on TV do it. A vicarious thrill listening to the songs with lyrics about such behavior. It's time that the church have a spiritual turnaround or face the judgment of God. And by the way, the judgment of God begins in the house of the Lord. The book of Hebrews asks this question in Hebrews 2.3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? To live out the salvation of the Lord, to enjoy the fruit of salvation, is to live your life in such a way that people can see Christ in you because you're the light of the world. And they hear from your mouth the message of freedom, the true message of freedom. Freedom doesn't come from belonging to some, you know, some people group on the earth. Freedom doesn't come from doing what the world's belief system tells you you ought to do. Freedom doesn't come when you follow the rules of somebody who's telling you how you should live your life under COVID. That's not where freedom comes from. Freedom comes from God. Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth of God will set you free. Amen. So escape what? If we neglect so great a salvation, how shall we escape? Escape what? Verse 10, or I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 26. Turn to Hebrews 10, 26. Let me read it for you. Hebrews 10, 26. This is for us now. This is not for the world. This is for us, the church. Hebrews 10, 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sacrificed and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay and again, the Lord will judge his people. The Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We sang a song earlier and we said, Jesus is mine. Jesus, you are mine. 
By the way, that's never been in question. When you come to Christ by salvation, it's never a question, does, do you belong to Christ? In fact, 1 John tells us in chapter 3 that uh, have you ever considered the type of love that it took for Christ to die for you on the cross? And then the next verse says, uh, you're a child of God. You become a child of God. So is Jesus mine? Yes. I'm in the family of God. Praise God. That's not the concern. The concern is not, is Jesus mine? The concern for the church is, is are we Christ? Are we His? In other words, I'm saved. There's no question about that. I'm a child of God. I'm going to heaven. But what am I allowing Christ to do through me? Am I surrendering every day to the work of the Holy Spirit as he tries to conform me to the image of Jesus? Am I resisting? Am I quenching the Spirit because I'm not letting God have me, all of me? And I find myself just living God on Sunday and then Monday I get back to my sales and yeah, my practices aren't really biblically lining up, but that's okay. I got to make a dollar and God understands. No, he doesn't! That you would trust in the almighty dollar more than the almighty God. You either are his, and if you're his, then yes, you already know that you have him. But you are his, and now he, he lives in you. One of the great passages in the Bible is Romans chapter 6, verse 10. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. It doesn't say the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you except when you go through COVID. But I'm telling you there's a lot of Christians that are living like that right now. You would not know the Spirit of God is in them. They're not saying anything. They're not sharing the gospel. They're not getting out, communicating. You say, well, I just can't be too close to people. So stand six feet away and share the gospel. We're in a lull as a church. And I'm not just speaking BBF, I mean the church in general. We've succumbed to the world's belief systems and standards. I, I've talked to so many Christians, even this week, another person told me, yeah, you know, I, I, I said, I've missed you at church. And she was at a little, we had a little gathering, a wonderful gathering for Frank and Jackie Smith at their house uh, Friday night. And their whole neighborhood, by the way, drove down the street in a parade saying goodbye to them. Must have been 20, 25 cars. It was amazing. And this person comes up, and she belongs to our church. And, and she, I said, hey, I've missed seeing you. And she said, yeah, my workload has really gone up, which I believe a lot of you, your workload has gone way up because of COVID. Now there's fewer employees, and you're doing the work of, of not only yourself but others. I get that. And I just don't have the energy. And so only the Lord knows the truth in that, and only the Lord can help her. But I'm just telling you in general, that's what I'm hearing all over. It's like we're in a lull. God takes a back seat because it's, it's the season of COVID. No! 
For a believer, whether it's good or bad, whether we're in a war, whether we're in peacetime, we're to be consistent as the body of Christ. God has commanded us to be salt and light. Salt is a natural influencer. It's a preservative. We're calling naturally and indirectly people out of sin. Light is very much in your face. It's either black or it's white. It's either light or it's dark. And we're to walk around in such a way and speak in such a way that people clearly know we're in the light. There's no shadows around us. We don't go in certain rooms and the thermostat is set at, you know, 85 degrees and we walk in and we just kind of blend right in and it stays at 85 degrees. We walk in and that thermostat moves Why? Because we're not called to be thermometers. We're called to be thermostats. We change the temperature where we go. We live our lives in such a way that the world has to stop and go, wait a minute, this is a worldwide pandemic. How can they be so joyful? How can they be so filled with fulfillment? What do they have that I don't have? I want Christ! That's what I heard a man say one time. I came to the altar, a little man, and he was probably in his mid-70s at least, probably older. And I went down to pray with him. And he said, I said, how can I, how can I pray for you today? He said, looked at me, he goes, I want Christ. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one thing to see a younger person get saved, but older people, that's, that's rare at that age to give their life to Christ. And this guy was, he says, I want Christ. We we were there, and he prayed, and he received the Lord. And afterwards, he goes, okay, thank you, Pastor. I'm off to San Diego today. I said, oh, okay, you going out to see some grandkids and have a good time with family? He goes, no. He goes, I've got my first baseball game that starts today. Major League, he was an umpire. Bruce Freming, 39 years in the major leagues. They came back the next spring after the season, and Rose Marie, his wife, came up to me and said, Greg, I have a new husband. God did a work in him. He's not just Christ. Christ has him. See, that's what it's about. Doesn't mean he's perfect. Nobody in this room is perfect except for me. Okay. Um, <laughs> and that deserved a laugh. We're all sinners, saved by grace. Now we don't refer to each other as sinners. We refer to each other as saints, right? Because we're safe in Christ. But don't just be safe in Christ. Serve Christ! It's not about sitting. It's about serving. It's not about hiding. It's about shining. We need to let the light of Christ shine through us to others. Amen? That's the call of God. I just remind you as we close our time in prayer, the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, lives in you. What excuse could you possibly give knowing that? Now just access Open yourself up and give yourself to the Spirit for His work. Let's pray. Father, today, that's our heart's desire. We want to give ourselves to you today. 
as we take a moment for reflection. I pray that, Lord, in this room, decisions will be made. You, gotta, you can't change until you decide. So, Lord, we're calling for you to speak by your spirit and people will make decisions, the right decisions, in Jesus' name. Brenton's going to come and close our time together. Let's uh, continue in an attitude of reflection as he speaks to us.